players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dark Ritual, Lightning Bolt, and Healing Salve are just a taste. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. Firefighters. As always, I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Phenomenal, Phil. So good. Did you hear the news? I, I, I didn't. I've been living under a rock. With your fingers in your ears? Yeah, um, you must be because uh, they, they took some big steps to fix Legacy and every other format that's been shitty for the last year. Oh my gosh, what did they do? Print more powerful cards to force the old ones out? Yeah, they actually took Reddit's advice and unbanned power, time twister, mind twist, and just let loose. And uh, the solution to turn three Oko is turn one mystical tutor GG. You didn't, yeah, like, I've heard that hot take lately. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, they got rid of Oko, Dreadhorde Arcanist, and Astrolabe for good measure. Woot woot. I should specify Arkham's Astrolabe. Astrolabe is still legal in Legacy. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a it was a big big moment for Legacy. I, I I guess we'll get into that when we get to the the meat of the show because that's that's something that like we really want to dive into today is like what does this ban mean for us as Legacy players? What does the meta game look like moving forward? You know, which fire cards are going to be hot moving forward? Eh. Eh. All right. Eh. Boo. <laughs> All right, Mr. Boo, what have you been up to? Well, every Friday, as many of our listeners know, my wife and I make pizza together. And then Best we day of the week. Exactly. Brian knows. And then we watch WandaVision. Friday morning, I woke up and was immediately pissed off. Twitter, like, let me know. Not even people on Twitter, but the Twitter algorithm was just like, Fans applaud uh, Catherine Han for a phenomenal WandaVision performance, a uh, big reveal at end. And I was just like, what? Like, why would you tell me this, Twitter? Like, you think I want to know this before? It's not even like six hours later. I don't know. Like, it was just like a little frustrating that like seven, eight in the morning, Twitter spoiling shit. I was not thrilled. Uh, the only other thing is I'm an old man. I'm almost Brian's age. And uh, I have an awful back. So... I saw that Brian or uh, Brad Nelson posted that he bought a Herman Miller chair and how great it was for his back. So I was like, "Ooh, let me look." Not knowing that Herman Miller chairs are like two and a half grand each. So uh, uh, excuse me, as I sit in my Herman Miller chair, I got mine secondhand. I'm not rich. <laughs> well, uh, even the ones I saw, because I was like, maybe I'll get a used one. So I was looking at eBay. The used ones are like fourteen hundred dollars on eBay. I was like, it's so expensive. Uh, so. I ended up just buying like lumbar support pads and they are so weird to sit on. 
and sit back against like my back has been feeling a little bit better but it also just feels so unnatural so uh, maybe at some point in my life when uh i no longer have student loans i'll buy a herman miller chair yeah the twist to all of these support devices and like uh, memory foam mattresses and whatever is that they do feel unnatural at first and that's because your natural posture is bad that's why you're in this position like i'm there too uh i I was the type of person up until probably like age 25 that I just uh, sat, I slept on like probably eight pillows every night. I would just make a big nest and like prop my neck up however was most comfortable. And I just lived my life with just permanent back pain and headaches. And then I just like threw all of those pillows onto the lawn and bought one expensive memory foam pillow. And it was unnatural for like a week. I was like, this doesn't feel right. But guess what? It literally changed my life. Just like a pillow changed my life. I'm used to it now and I love it. And uh, I invested in a memory foam topper for my bed, my entire bed. I'm not quite at memory foam mattress money yet. Those things are fucking expensive. But yeah, I'm, I'm about that support life, good body mechanics, all that kind of stuff. So, Brian, since uh, you're already talking, what have you been up to? Uh basically nothing um like as usual it's still covid um my second dose of my vaccine did not come it got lost in the mail so i was supposed to get my second dose last tuesday uh like a week before tonight we're recording on tuesday night and it just wasn't there apparently the federal government said something like don't hold back vaccine doses and what they meant was like, don't hoard them. Like if, if like you're out of people applying in one A, start giving them to one B, like that sort of thing. But what Pennsylvania heard was just put the second doses out there as first doses right now. So the entire store, like the back supply oh, is no. just gone and uh, Moderna couldn't get them here fast enough. Plus the Northeast has been sort of ravaged by cold weather and snow and ice and shit for the last two weeks. So that didn't help. So uh, I'm getting my second dose on Thursday. So by the time you're hearing this, I will probably be on my ass with second dose symptoms from what I've heard from everyone. The Moderna second dose is a doozy. Phil, was yours Moderna? No, I got Pfizer. My girlfriend got Moderna though. Uh, and yeah, she was... Uh... She was not feeling great the next two days. Yeah, so the biggest tilt of all this was that my second dose was supposed to come on a Tuesday, and then I would have gotten a day or two off of work because I would have felt real sick, and it would have been covered under like COVID coverage, so it doesn't even use my sick time. And that was kind of by design, not going to lie. I had the option to sign up on a Friday, but I took the Tuesday. And now I'm getting on Thursday, so I am just going to be sick for the weekend. <laughs> and not get out of any work so mega tilt on that one but i am going to be covid free so i guess i'll take that um in the meantime i got into your honor your honor which is a tv show starring brian cranston um his son uh is involved in a hit and run uh like he hits and runs uh an another kid the kid dies uh, the son sort of panics and just like drives home and doesn't know what to do and like leaves the kid dead in the street. And his dad, who is a an esteemed judge in New Orleans, comes home and he's like, son, you have to turn yourself in. I'll use my connections. I'll 
get you the best lawyer. I'll use my police friends to, so this all goes smoothly. Like you'll spend a few nights in jail, but you can't just hit and run and kill a guy. And then they get to the police station and see a like crying set of parents in the police station. And it's the uh, kingpin and wife of the local crime syndicate. It was their son he ran over. So then they bail. And then this judge has to use all of his expertise of the legal system to get his kid off the hook and like bury evidence and throw cops and lawyers. Everyone he called the day before, he now has to throw them off the trail. And it just gets this like web of crime shit. And it's pretty good. It's really heavy. Uh, I'm watching it with my girlfriend and she says it's too heavy to watch an episode every night, which I'm sort of salty about because I want to binge the whole thing. But uh, yeah, she doesn't like uh, that sort of grit the way I do. But so we're working through that slowly. And my downtime show that I'm working through is Cowboy Bebop, which is the classic uh, anime. I've been hearing about this show since I was a child. It's probably the first anime I ever knew existed, but uh, I've been was recently reminded that it exists and it's still a good watch. So I am doing that now. And that's all I got going on. How about you, Phil? Um, my life is really awkward right now. So, uh, this is this is Tuesday. Uh, next Monday, most of the students are going to be returning to in-person learning, and we're also opening up a new high school building. We just got the all clear today that we can start moving things into the high school because construction just got to the point where that's acceptable. So. As you can imagine, most of our staff members are still teaching the rest of the kids or teaching virtual classes, and we're trying to prepare for that move and just kind of make it magically happen overnight. And we don't quite have all the details of how everything's going to work out with the new building and the new schedule. So uh, I keep running into these situations where it's like, okay, I have time to do something. Oh, wait, I don't have all the information required to plan that yet. Uh, uh-oh. So I think over the next three days, I'm going to hit this terrible, terrible time crunch of, like, having two weeks worth of stuff to do and three days to do it in. And uh, it's it's going to be very strange. Yeah, lately, lately our school admin has been hitting us with, you're salaried staff, you're expected to work after hours. So, like, when you said that this is going to happen overnight, I was thinking, like, yeah, probably literally. Like, you're going to teach all day and then have to go, like, move your classroom through the night and then, like, show up the next morning and teach in the classroom. And that sucks. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's nobody's fault. Our our building was originally supposed to open up uh, mid-January and, like, here we are, end of February. Uh, so... Some delays were expected, but not quite this much. And so we did some half measures to try to get some of the kids back. And it resulted in the mess that we're in now. It was kind of one of those, like, we solved a problem and created a problem for future us. And now future us is paying. Past us always sucks. Have you ever been just like, good job, past Phil? Like, I I feel like it's like 70-30 where I'm like, Damn it, past Brian. Yeah, same. 
So I'm looking forward to like teaching in person again, but I think the next week is going to kind of suck until the transition period is over. All right. So we do have a few donations this week. Uh, shout outs to Evan Gravino, Matthew Hackbert, and Henrik Korkutz for your support. We do appreciate it. And uh, keeping Phil Blackman at Force of Phil uh, hungry and I guess hungry wasn't the right word. Full on bad decks for 90s MTG. Support Phil's awful piles that Phil plays. Phil, you're not allowed to edit this out. You underestimate my power. I, I played against him and it was a it was a lot of fun. We played on 90s MTG. He had a sweet Hogak pile. Oh, that deck was so awesome. Yeah. Like I, yeah. You w- watch the video. Check out '90s MTG YouTube channel if you haven't seen them before. There's there's some really fun stuff there, and I guess that should transition into our MTG updates. I I think I can say this on behalf of all of us. Uh, the YouTube video stuff is going really well right now. Um, content production is very exciting right now. We're in this post band world. The matches are fun again, and people are excited to watch. I know a whole bunch of my recent videos have been just crushing the metrics. Same here. Uh, I was going to say this in my part, but uh, first video ever with 3000 views for me. And it happened in four days, but like for 3000 videos for Brian takes like three hours. But for me, I was really excited to hit 3000. Like even my top performing video is still a few away from 3000. And I set a goal for this month of uh, 200 subs there's a chance I hit 400. Uh, I'll need like 65 in the next five days, which is possible. But uh, it'd be sweet if that happened. Yeah, strong. I think last episode we recorded, I was like, yeah, I hit 3000 subs. And now I have like 3300. It's like it's 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 been a good couple of weeks for magic. Um, as far as my actual content goes, um, I made a short 10 minute theory video that a lot of people liked that I uh clickbaitingly called the sins of post-ban deck building or something like that where i talked about a lot of really common mistakes i was seeing people make um and that, that got a lot of engagement and people uh seem to enjoy it by engagement do you mean uh, i mean i'll be honest Phil, i didn't click on your video i don't fall for traps but i did see a bunch of people just arguing like very violently in your comment sections like no piece of glass are the best thing that's ever happened to match at the gathering no um there there was a lot of positive feedback and a couple of people who were just like excuse me i have a novel to write you are wrong and i mean and if if you create a piece of content like that and you get discussions going i i think that ends up being very healthy for most people involved like also the fact that you made someone that upset by just like producing quality content is amazing like you want to get these sort of reactions out of people. That helps you. Did you guys see the Patrick Sullivan YouTube so comment? So good. Uh, uh, so <laughs> Patrick Sullivan, the uh, commentary, uh, former Magic Pro game designer, currently on the Wizards of the Coast play design team. Uh, that is a job he's held for about a year now. Um, he released a video about the card cap size and why that card is a bad design, like went into the deep like design philosophy about why cap size is not a card that should exist. And somebody commented, 
I disagree with all of your points so vehemently, and I am just so glad that you don't actually influence how magic cards are made. Or, I'm so glad you are not making any decisions about how magic is made. And he just replied, I am. <laughs> like, they, the dunk from half court. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you and your horse. So, Brian, what about on your end? Uh, it's mostly problems, but it's the kind of problems that uh, come with trying to expand, trying to improve growing pains, if you will. So a lot of people, I, I would say the percentage is low, but it's enough uh, frequency that I needed to replace the mic I was recording with. Um, I have this nice microphone I record the podcast on, uh, but... This is a, a stationary mic, like you guys can see it on the video right now. It's on it's on a boom. It's like coming down over my head. And I record most of my videos from the comfort of my couch on my laptop. And I'm just, I chill and I put on a headset and the headset is apparently low enough quality that enough people said you need to fix your mic. So I did some research and I found like the best reviewed podcasting mic of 2020. I bought the thing and the sound quality is much better, but because it's such a better piece of equipment, it requires much more uh, setting up of filters and uh, noise gates and compressors and like all sorts of shit that my previous mic didn't need. And I found out that the noise gate that that mic that that mic could operate under does not go low enough to catch my speaking voice, like. Right now I'm projecting because I'm talking to you guys. I feel like I'm in a conversation, but when I'm just alone recording content, whispering to myself in my basement, like if I'm really deep in thought, thinking through a line, my voice goes to about as low as possible. And I'm just like barely talking. I'm just like, okay, if I do this, uh, that's three, six, nine, storm is 12. Like I, my voice goes lower naturally because I'm not thinking about talking. I'm thinking about magic. And that just went under the noise gate. So I have... About a week and a half's worth of videos where I alternated like the beginning and end of my sentences getting clipped off by the noise gate to just completely removing the noise gate. And then you can like hear me breathing. You can hear like my furnace kick on in the background. You can hear my girlfriend walking around upstairs. And then I get frustrated by that and I turn the noise gate back on. So then like the clip. So there's like a week and a half of going back and forth trying to dial that thing in. But that resulted finally in me just sending that back to the company. I returned the motherfucker and I am now in a new setup. Uh, I have taken all of my good equipment from my desktop computer and attached it to my laptop in a desk situation. Uh, so I have never had all of these pieces of equipment working together before. And now they are. And I have a new recording space set up in my, what used to be my guest bedroom. And Hopefully all those problems are resolved moving forward, but man, it's frustrating and to like produce a week and a half's worth of content. And like, I, it's not like I didn't test the mic, you know, I, I did like test recordings and stuff and it seemed okay. But over the course of a two hour video, especially times eight, like 16 hours of recording, you can't plan for all of that. That's the real stress test. And which leads me to my next point. Well, hold on, before you get Scheduling there, before you get there. Yeah. So I used to use Bootcamp, and Bootcamp is essentially running Windows on a Mac. You're booting into Windows. You're no longer in the iOS operating system, so you're just loading Windows. 
And when I did that, I was using a voice meter for my blue Yeti because when I was, when I got my Yeti, everyone was saying like, Hey, make sure you do like what the YouTube videos say. And every single one of them is like, you should really use voice meter. Well, that also came with the noise gate and I hated it so much. But on top of that voice meter, after like 40 minutes of being on, would just start turning my voice into a robot. Like you just couldn't hear what I say. So I recorded like five videos where like the first like 40 minutes are great but like i'd also be clipped on the beginning and end like you said and then like just complete robot voice for the rest of the video like i have a ptq top eight and modern on the youtube channel that is the lowest views by far like each video has like 40 watches per round because the audio quality is just me going like you just can't hear anything yikes yeah that's kind of how it felt um and because I, I release daily content, but I also have a full-time job. I, like I said, I record one to two weeks in advance, and that's usually good. gives me some room to breathe, some room to, for for error on if I get something recorded or not in time, and it keeps the schedule flowing. But if I if there's a problem, it takes a week and a half, two weeks to go live. So like the first video with shitty audio went live yesterday at the time of this recording but i've been thinking about it for two weeks already like oh this is gonna be so bad i'm so embarrassed i wish i could just muck this entire week of content and do it again but that's like 12 hours of work that i just don't have and it's like i've already been beating myself up about that for two weeks and now the comments are like you know the beginning and end of your sentences is cut off like yes i fucking know thank you (laughs) like like i I get they're trying to be helpful. Like I, I'm not mad at them, but it's just like already an open wound, and all these like salty boys are coming by pouring salt in my open wound. So that sucks. Also, recording that far in advance, uh, if something happens, like you know, cards get banned. I already have a week and a half of content scheduled past the ban date, and again, I can't just incinerate ten to fourteen hours of work to record new fresh post-band content right away. So uh, I've get, been getting a lot of comments like, where's the post-band content? If I see Oko, I click, I, or I, I, I just leave. Like, I leave immediately. I'm not watching Oko. And I did my best. Like, my last handful of videos are like two vintage videos, Tin Fins, Nick Fit, and Ruby Storm. Like, I didn't play any of the cards that were getting banned because I suspected they were getting banned but my opponents still have them in their deck and people didn't like that. So I get it. You want fresh content, but at the same time you want, you want daily content too. So yeah, that's been just frustrating, but it's, it's like a back end thing and I, I'm not mad at anyone for it. It's just like, it is what it is. And short of being a full-time content creator who can just like put in six hours of testing a mic before I record with it. And then, muck a whole video and just re-record it if I need to like nothing I can do about that so I'll use this to segue into uh my section a little bit so a few days before the bannings we all felt that they were coming like they made the announcement Uh, my Friday video was supposed to be a legacy video but I couldn't find it in me to record a dead format I decided to play pauper for the first time ever I received a request from someone to play Cycle Storm and Pauper, and I wasn't really interested in playing Pauper. But they were like, hey, uh, would you be interested in playing my list? And I was like, 
hey, I actually don't do donation decklists at the moment, but like message me through the Epic Storm site and we can figure something out. I gave them a pretty low price and they were just like, not interested, thanks. Uh, which, you know, it's fine, it happens. I decided that I was going to buy the deck for the 10 tickets that it costs and I'd play it. And it was super fun, got a lot of subscribers, and I actually really enjoy Popper now. I played a Popper challenge over the weekend, I liked the deck so much. But uh, the fact that they were just like, $15 for a donation deck? Nope. Uh, I don't know. Like, it was a little defeating, especially knowing what, like, people pay other content creators out there uh, for donation decks. I felt like my price was pretty reasonable because I don't do them. And then another one happened the other day when they were just like, I don't see it on your site. Why isn't it on your site? And I was like, I, I said in my comment, like, please message me using the contact form. They're like, the information isn't on the website. It's just like, it's, sometimes it's tough for us to work together, even though uh, maybe that's not what you want. Yeah, uh, $15 for a donation deck list is a steal, by the way. Oh my god. I charge significantly more than that, and a lot of times people are like, wow, really? That's it? Sure. Or like, I, I have people like tip me on top of my rate, or like, whatever, like, my a bunch of my patreon patrons ganged up on me in my discord the other day like you should really charge more like yeah uh, what you charge for like what you produce is just we don't see how it's good for you there's like an intervention that they wanted to pay me more money it's like all right i get that you're my patron patreon patrons and you're already in a a certain class of su supporter but like i'm I, I feel like i'm getting my hourly rate out of it like i don't know but yeah to get just like straight up no sir not over 15 bucks that's harsh yeah, yeah. I was running $20 for a long time, and as soon as the bans hit, I had to move it up to 30 because I got four donation deck lists within 24 hours of the banning, and I'm just like, oh no, I can't, I, I literally can't keep up with this once I return to in-school, like, in-person work. Uh, I, I have to bump this up to keep the queue reasonable. So, with the bannings happening, I've, today, so this is Tuesday, I've started updating the homepage of the Epic Storm. I've gotten a bunch of it done already, but unfortunately not everything. So I still have to do like the card choices. So if you click on uh, some of the stuff right now, you'll see like, oh, this card's new, but it has a description from the last time I played it, which was probably like post pro banning. So I have to go through and update all that stuff. But by the time this episode is live, hopefully all that stuff will be done and you can f go see the new list on the epicstorm.com and why I chose to play everything and whatnot. Other than that, I've just been uh, continuing my run on 90s MTG. Uh, I think this is week four, maybe week five of being the Monarch. I'm hoping someone beats me. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I will keep playing until I lose, but uh, I don't know. Like, I'm ready for my reign to end. Hello, my name is Sir Humblebrag. Someday they'll invite me. Uh, usually, I have found that in all of my leagues, all of my, anything, if I go 1-4 in a league, the deck I beat is the Epic Storm. Because I do not play when it comes to storm hate. Like I, I Phil and Bryant will attest. Like I use our Eternal Glory uh, group chat as my dumping ground of sick Epic Storm screenshots, where I just have like deafening silence, null rod, stony silence, and counterbalance in play, and I'm like beating down with a shark or whatever. Like that. That's most of what I send to our chat. With whatever stupid brew I'm on, I will beat the Epic Storm. I do not respond to these photos.
I do. He he usually does the uh, the shocked face emoji response. That's usually his reply, if anything. All right, moving into the actual content of tonight, we probably want to start by actually talking about the ban itself. So I want to focus first on a, a single sentence of this. Quote, While balance hasn't looked problematic in Legacy, we've heard community feedback that a few cards have come to draw too much of the focus for deck building and gameplay. So who wants to kind of break this down and start talking about it? So normally, yeah, I'll I'll jump in. Normally, legacy ban announcements include numbers like a the deck had a 55% win rate and a 25% uh, of the meta share and like 55% against the field with no bad matchups. Like that was the case with survival. That was the case with death right shaman. Like once you're in that 55, 60% win rate against the field at large, uh, that starts to become uh, too good or like those are the sort of things that they point out. Um, this is very different because while Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist and Arkham's Astrolabe were sort of strangling the format, they were doing it like in a way where they each took meta share from each other. So the format looked kind of balanced, even though like the problem being a card like Oko is sure Oko can go into Rug Delver or Snoko or Lands or Infect or, you know, whatever. And Oko is still a fucking problem, even if there's uh, 32 different decks running Oko that look different uh, according to what their overall archetype is. So that's a pretty different approach. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's as different as the article says, like if they saw all of the the ways Oko was oppressive, but it was it's definitely different that they didn't cite win rates here to get rid of the cards. I'd like to make a few points. One, that's two F-bombs Brian has dropped this episode. We are no longer PG-13. Uh, the second point is a lot of people that don't play a lot of Legacy were using their platforms to say things like, I don't really feel like Dreadhorde Arcanist needed to go. Cards seem fine. If you are not heavily invested in the format, there's a good chance that... Uh, you don't really know the stranglehold it put on the format. I was someone initially who didn't think Dreadhorde was very good. Like, I'm not afraid to admit it. My first takes are not always the best. Uh, I didn't think a lot of people messaged me with Bergie off the bat saying, like, you going to play this? And I said no, uh, mostly because I thought they were talking about Legacy and not these other formats that I've recently started playing. But like first impressions can be wrong sometimes. And like. I'm not afraid to admit that Dreadhorde needed to go, but people that rarely play Legacy being like, no, Dreadhorde's fine, like, irked me a little bit. Like, do you actually know? I don't know. Like, have you ever faced seven Forcibles that just come back the turn after? Like, oh, they had double Force. Next turn, they have Force again. Like, that's not fun. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to say was uh, about Brian's number uh, point, about 55%. I saw a lot of people throughout the internet arguing in challenges uh, through the work that Volrath XP, a.k.a. Joe Dyer, has been doing, is that Rug Delver only had a 53 win percentage. It shouldn't have been banned. Like, those cards should have been legal. That is such a flawed logic. One, that is challenge results only. And, like, those are twice a week where it only works for a few different time zones. 
which isn't really true to the entire legacy metagame. That is true for exactly challenges. Does not include league play. Doesn't include PTQs. And a lot of that's repeated user data. Like if Phil plays death and taxes in every single event of the week, Phil's going to be counted three, four times. If Brian plays, he's counted once. Is that exactly fair? Not really, but through the spreadsheet, they are counted as equal. And those numbers you have to take with a grain of salt. It is reasonable data to have and good to reference. It is not the end all be all. And I just want to point that out that like when you look at data, you can use it to tell a story, but sometimes that story isn't true. Yeah, uh, I studied uh, sociology, which comes with statistics, and now I'm a behavior analyst and working with data is primarily what I do. And one of my professors in college told me, the second thing you learn after how to read statistics is how to lie with them. And while I don't know that it's necessary, necessarily malicious that people are saying, like, look, it's only 53%, like... Those those numbers, there's a lot of ways you could read them. Uh, like I could, if you give me the raw data, I will. I could prove to you that Rug Delver is far and away the best deck in Legacy, and it should have been banned a year ago. But that wouldn't necessarily be genuine or like whatever. So, uh, interpreting data and the collection of it is really like the like. Uh, I think you mentioned leagues. Like they publish one five zero a week. Like how many five O's was Rug Delver getting secretly, uh, just in the queues, and and like the going back to my point is that it wasn't that Rug Delver was too good, which it was, but this isn't like Survival of the Fittest being too good as an archetype or Mystical Tutor making Reanimator and Storm too strong. This is a case of these generic tools that can go in a number of shells with minimal deck building requirement just being too good on their own as standalone cards. Like when Doomsday is playing Dreadhorde Arcanist out of the sideboard, just as a way to draw more cards, that's a problem. When decks that are historically not blue are splashing for Oko, that's a problem. Like that's, that's the sort of thing we're talking about here. We're not talking about Rug Delver's win rate. We're talking about Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist appearing across the board. Kind of mining this quote in a different direction. I'd like to focus on four words. We've heard community feedback. This is huge, and I can't emphasize this enough. The legacy community in particular was feeling absolutely dejected and ignored, and Watsi acknowledged the fact that they were actually listening to what was going on. I believe I so, used the term neglected. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, too. So I can say that we, big, big royal we, legacy community we, saved the format. It's not any one individual. It's not any one podcast. No, no one streamer. No one person writing an article or a letter or anything like that. But we as a community, we were heard. And that that, that means a lot. And if you take a look at the explanations that are behind the bannings, you can tell that it's most certainly based directly on things that various content creators have been saying for a long time. And it's not just all based on win percentage data here. It's based on like what the community's view on the format is. And this is a very 
different sort of banning than what we've gotten in Legacy in the past, and one that I'm very happy about. So, uh, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and it's great that the community's been heard. I had a couple of people immediately go to my YouTube channel and comment on one of my videos saying, like, I hope you're happy Dreadhorde is banned. I hope Veil of Summer goes too. Um, not everyone's happy about these changes. And part of this was the person saying, like, their main argument was if the community has so much feedback uh, through Wizards that if enough people are upset about a card, they can get it banned. It is ultimately not the community that gets cards banned. I'd just like to throw that out there. The community can say they don't like a card as much as they want, and no one individual or few individuals can ultimately create a banning. Like, it was not our fault that a few cards got banned. Like, would I love to take credit? Sure. It wasn't us. Like, who knows if they even heard us. But it is ultimately the group of people in a room at Wizards of the Coast that decides to remove a card from a format or unban a card, etc. And fault or credit or blame should not go to any few individuals. Yeah, when the bans went live, like, obviously we had just done the episode about Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist where we laid out our thoughts on it. Uh, Anurag tweeted a side-by-side -side with his open letter to Wizards about the Legacy Health and the band announcement, and he highlighted uh, sections that lined up almost exactly with like what he said and what they said, which also lined up pretty close to what we said. And then uh, I know Arkin tweeted that uh, he had a, a hand in this, and nobody's wrong. Like The Legacy community and the content creators and the people who are out there advocating for Legacy's Health did get this card these cards banned and it's the right call like by the way i think it's so funny that somebody was like so invested in dreadhorde arcanist and so mad at you personally about it <laughs> bryant cook that they would go to your youtube channel which is based on an engagement algorithm click on your channel thanks for the engagement make a comment thanks for the engagement and just like boost your shit because they're mad at you so like that that was pretty cool. Like I'm I'm never mad at haters in my YouTube comments. Like, yeah, go ahead. I'll talk to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I have another quote from a ban article. Here it is. While a card seeing lots of competitive play doesn't by itself necessitate action, in this case we also see a reduction in diversity in the environment, an inability for the metagame to adjust, and a dominant strategy that's particularly hostile to rogue and decks and innovation. You know what card they're talking about there? Is it Oko? Is it Dreadhorde Arcanist? Is it Arkham's Astrolabe? <laughs> it's Deathrite Shaman. That was actually going to be my guess. Yeah, so like this article from uh, two and a half years ago basically said all of the words that we feel about Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist and Arkham's Astrolabe that we have felt for the last year, but the difference was Deathrite Shaman was winning 55% of its matches and Oko and DHA were only winning 53%. So I, I'm glad they, they've sort of ignored that arbitrary bar for this one because that quote verbatim, exactly what we've been saying about especially Oko, like a, a dominant strategy that's particularly hostile to rogue decks and innovation. Hello, Oko in a nutshell. Not to mention the swaths of existing decks he took out when he was around. So, yeah, like, this, these bands 
while they did acknowledge community feedback more than normal, this is totally in line with previous legacy ban list philosophy. Another issue that I have with the 55% benchmark is it's not consistent. They refused to tell us what the win percentage was during Breach. They weren't like, we made an egregious error. Breach had a 77 win, uh, match win percentage. Like They just like kept all that hidden. You can't like pick and choose when to use 55% either. And I think if you're not going to be consistent with it, then like maybe don't use it. And this was a good example of them not using it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it also doesn't matter. If everyone's miserable, what's the point? Yeah. Like, I, if they printed a card that won 10% of its matches, but everyone fucking hated, like, I, I don't mind if that card goes too. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking about Trinisphere right now. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Maybe that's, that doesn't make any sense. I'm off it. All right. Scratch that entire last thing. I nope. So Phil, double, put that in twice. If they printed a card that won 10% of its matches, but everyone fucking hated, like, I, I don't mind if that card goes too. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking about Trinisphere right now. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Maybe that's that doesn't make any sense. I'm off it. Moving on. We're we're focusing on Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanus because those were the cards that we were most invested in as content creators. But two other big changes happened for us in Legacy during this announcement. One is that Arkham's Astrolabe also got the axe, and two, we saw a cascade rules change. Um I I guess since we're kind of on the bands topic, let's let's start by talking about Astrolabe. It's a really awkward card in Legacy, where, like, is it really bannable on power level? Uh, It's it's kind of hard to argue that, but it also does a lot of things that are, like, unexciting, uninteresting, decreases diversity, you know, uh, allows you to play around format staples like Wasteland at very, very minimal cost. And I know so many people who are in the camp of, like, yeah, I don't know if we can really ban it, but like if we got rid of it, I'd be good with that. I'm going to paraphrase a quote from the LSV Matt Nass uh, podcast episode that they released shortly after the bannings. Magic the Gathering has been a successful game over the last 20 years due to the mana system. Astrolabe broke the mana system and made the game uninteresting. And... I've never really thought about it from that perspective, but once it left LSV's mouth, I was like, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, Do I think that it needs to be banned because it breaks some sort of system? No, like the color pie has been broken a million times uh, and that was supposed to be like a defining feature of the game too. But it was really interesting to hear it from that perspective and a lot of things on in Magic the Gathering cheat on mana, if I'm being completely honest, but I do think uh, it's probably one of the reasons it was banned. Yeah, I have said um, for basically since it's printing um, about Astrolabe that it won't get banned on power level. But if it's decreed that it breaks the color pie to an unsafe level, that's what would get it banned. And I mean, you could go back, listen to old episodes of this podcast, my old videos. That That is the thing that I attributed it to. And I didn't want to take stabs at whether it was too broken in that way. I wanted Wizards of the Coast to decide how precious their color pie is. And I guess they, they've they clearly decided very because this innocuous common, like when I saw this card, I was like, oh yeah, that'll be cool and pauper. Like Prophetic Prism is already a pauper staple and this is just an upgrade. I already place no lands in all my pauper decks. And then Banned in Pauper, Banned in Modern, 
now banned in Legacy. Clearly, one mana for this effect, even if it's a snow mana, is just too good. Um, there's lots of prophetic prism kind of variants throughout Magic's history, and this one, apparently, one mana is, is too good. How many videos have you recorded this week with uh, prophetic prism effects, Brian? Uh, the answer is one. The, the one that's actually releasing tomorrow at the time of recording, which will be two days ago at the time of release, uh, my Wednesday video this week, uh, I, it is an abundant growth Uro deck. Just tried to make Snowco happen without Oko. Snurro. Are you calling it like quit trying to make Snowco happen? No, I called it long. Li- uh, I said Snowco is dead. Long live Snurro. That was the title of the video. Nice. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but Abundant Growth is not Arkham's Astrolabe. Not even close. All right, so let's let's talk Cascade then. Turbo Tybalt had its brief moment in the sun. It got to do extremely broken things for, what was that, a, a week and a half, two weeks, something like that. Um, but other than maybe a handful of like combo grinders, I don't think most people are are going to miss it. And I think they really nailed it with this rule change. I am going to disagree. Yeah, this is so elegant. What? So if you're only looking at it from a legacy perspective, it's a fix. I think throughout the course of the game, uh, they could have done better. I am someone who plays multiple formats. I know Brian is as well. Phil, you, you dabble in a couple, but uh, I don't think neither of you play that much Pioneer. It's already an issue in Pioneer. People are running Turbo Bring to Light decks that are just now focused on casting Bring to Light on turn three to Pavelki into play and uh, release the wins, I believe it's called, Flickers uh, Velky into Tybalt on turn three. So, oh, <laughs> these are not like I think we're going to see maybe a ban in Pioneer because they're probably not going to make two rules changes. But it's just like they could have done more. And I think if they had just looked at other decks in Pioneer before making some of these changes, because like this is stuff that was already happening. So uh, is your your point that they should have changed the rule more somehow or that Valky should have just been on the ban update for Pioneer? I believe that they should have changed the modal, the modal card uh, rules pretty much that it can only come in on the front. So I pretty strongly disagree with that from like the rules side i think the rule change is incredibly elegant uh like if i flip valky off of mind's desire i should be allowed to cast tibalt like i i earn that give it to me uh but cascade that they just added an intervening if clause uh these are intervening ifs are the rules language for uh triggered abilities that have a trigger condition that then do something if a certain criteria is met. So like bridge from below. If a creature if your creature dies, bridge from below triggers. It says if bridge from below is still in your graveyard, make a zombie. So you kill their creature, or they sack one of their own creatures, trigger bridge, you kill one of your creatures in response, bridges get exiled, they don't get a zombie. Uh if if the intervening if wasn't there, it would work like young pyromancer or not young pyromancer uh like a uh, prodigal sorcerer like tap deal one if you bolt that prodigal sorcerer in response to the tap you still take one there's no like intervening it's already happening so uh 
That might have been extremely remedial for some of you, but I hope some of you get some rules knowledge out of that. There's now an intervening if in Cascade. There is uh, reveal cards until you reveal a card that costs less than this spell. If that spell costs less than the spell, you may cast it. So you can't hit Valky, then decide to cast Tybalt. But if there is at some point a modal card that costs one on the front and one on the back, you could cast either side of that by cascading into it with a, a two or a three. So I, I think this is really elegant for fixing Cascade. But based on what you said, it seems like a Valky ban is still pretty likely to happen in Pioneer, which I think is fine. Like, if they can fix this card in two formats without banning it in three formats, I think that's elegant. And uh, they could just ban it in Pioneer. Pioneer is a format based on bans. That's true. I just worry about the long-term um, ramifications of multi-phase cards. Like, if they keep on happening and they don't learn their lesson from Valky, uh, how many times are they going to have to ban a card because they just because they don't test for older formats and pioneers included in those older formats. So they're just going to keep on breaking things. Oh, well, I mean, there's, they, they do learn design lessons and, uh, Valky is a chase mythic. Uh, like the, when mythic rares were premiered in shards of Alara, they said like mythic rares will be like marquee legends of the set and planeswalkers and cards with really cool effects. And, Valky slash Tibalt is all three of those. Like, that is a juicy, awesome mythic rare. It's probably appropriate for standard. I don't know. I don't play the format. But it's probably fine there. It had some weird interactions with Cascade. It has weird interactions with <laughs> Bring Delight, I guess. And is what it is. Uh, but I think that managing older formats with ban list, uh, so you don't have to design everything is fine. Uh, if they start printing commons like if they just start printing like one one on the front 12 12 trample on the back just like for one green or seven green or whatever like i don't know like at common then that would be a problem for pioneer because they would just end up with like a bunch of banned commons because they printed stupid cards but i don't think they're gonna do that all right so is it time to talk about what the community as a whole thinks of these how big can your heart eyes get? I uh I, I gave us three heart emojis in our in our show notes. That that's probably a good start. It's minimum three. I would go like twelve or fifteen myself. Like I, I when I saw the bands when they dropped, I just read like each format, I'm like, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, yes. And then at the bottom of the list, when it says Anne Luris is on Banded Vintage, I was like, well, that's just the cherry on top. I immediately recorded Vintage after I saw that. I was like, holy shit, Legacy's not fixed until that rules change on Wednesday. I'm spending the next couple of days recording as many Vintage videos as I can. It's super exciting. You didn't even companion that Mamma Jamma. You put four in your oh, deck. Oh, yeah, just like get get those cat <laughs> nightmares in there. Like we're going to town. Love it. I, I, I'm not going to say I missed Black Lotus, Luris, Black Lotus, but I, I do. I said this in a previous episode. I don't think it's fair for a card to exist on the vintage ban list that has never actually existed in vintage. So if Luris becomes a problem again, sure, send him back to the Shadow Realm. But I do think he deserved his time in the sun. It's interesting. I don't, I'm pretty sure you both are in the vintage uh, Facebook group. 
where this week someone brought up the fact that Bolas' Citadel is uninteresting and boring for the game and it made Tinker too good and how that should be a ban card uh, because restricting it wouldn't change anything. And there's so many like interesting things about Vintage. Like I just cut Bolas' Citadel from my deck because I think the value of Flourish against blue decks is higher than uh, the benefit I gained from playing Tinker Citadel. Like that is to me is an interesting deck building decision and things like that are what you want in magic. So I agree with your point that like things shouldn't be banned just because like, you know, why do people, I mean, like Bolasa Citadel is obviously a great card, but like I play decks with fucking 25 creatures in them. Like I just attack my opponent and they get a Bolasa Citadel when they're at six life. Like, cool. Like you don't you don't win from that position all of the time. Yeah, uh, and that's that's just vintage magic. Like, how are you going to complain about Bolas' Citadel and like think that Black Lotus and Ancestral Recall are okay? <laughs> like, what? Like, I guess because Tinker, it, it like doesn't matter if it's restricted because of Tinker, but Tinker is restricted, and sometimes you draw the Citadel before you draw the Tinker. Like, it it has deck building costs. Like, I I don't know. I I just think that I have not heard that take. I'm not actually in that group, and if I am, I have it muted. But that that's silly. Uh, I I did crudely Photoshop together a dual decks vintage six drops with Luris and uh, Bolas' Citadel as the two marquee cards that I tweeted the day of the ban announcement. And and I I'm totally with you, Brian. I think it is very interesting to decide whether you want to tinker for Citadel or have Luris in your deck in vintage because uh, by design it's one or the other, and those are two of the best things you can do. So uh, I haven't checked Reddit in the last few days, if I'm being completely honest, but I only play Four Color Loam as their username, and they tend to have a long, long posts about uh, how they hate certain cards. I haven't seen any long posts from them, so I'll have to check Reddit, check that out, see how they felt about these changes. I'm sure they love them, but uh, it'll be an interesting read. Yeah, as a whole, like, the community is in a great place. Like, there's some faith restored in Watsi. A lot of players who have been, you know, on hiatus for a very long time are are coming back and playing again. You're seeing deck specialists who just, like, gave up and started playing an Oko or Arcanus deck, like, returning back to their previous archetypes. And people are just excited to be playing. And I'm seeing all these, like, awesome, wonderful things on Twitter, ridiculous screenshots, like... The, the games have been really fun. Win I, or lose. I thought that too. And then I recorded a video where I got turn one Trinisphere twice. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I ended up winning. But, like, I am not excited about the return of turn one Trinisphere. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, it does not make me happy. Get fucked, nerd. I'm very excited about that world. Basic island and basic planes will ride again. No snow. Warm islands, warm, delicious, not quite tropical, but warm islands. Everyone was <laughs> eating up plains. this thing like my basic lands were unbanned. I ran my invasion swamp the entire time. No one was forcing you to pretend that you were snow. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I agree. Luckily, in a sense, there were no paper tournaments where I really had to decide like if I played in the if the Missouri MTG 100k actually happened and we were able to fly out to it, 
I probably would have optimized every possible thing and played the snow basics, even if I didn't need them. But on Moto, no way. Like I was just playing my my John Avon on un- unhinged arts the whole time. And over it. dinner tonight, I actually mentioned to my wife that um, in like two weeks would have been or in two weeks would be one year ago that I canceled my flight to the first Missouri 20K. We're approaching our COVID anniversary. Yeah, uh, shut down right around St. Patrick's Day, which is mid-March, and it's late February right meow. Right meow. So here we are. Right meow. Yep. Uh, China's already well past their anniversary. They they had it all uh, going spreading in January and stuff. So, yep, it's a full year. And I started coaching uh, a, a Korean guy. Uh, he reached out. He played Magic in 1993 and 1994 didn't touch the game until four months ago and he wants to catch up quick and he's hired me to coach him and i'm just like this is a delight but he's helping me tune his modern and legacy decks for his weekly paper shop events korea's back open uh, i know brian gottlieb tweeted today that he watches cricket and the new zealand cricket stadiums are just packed with people because it's back open because they did shit right and i'm minorly salty that we're approaching year number two and but we don't need to get into that we're in the middle of talking about how excited about legacy (laughs) we are someday we'll get out into the world and play it uh my my donation deck queue uh it had gone down to zero like i was for the first time since i introduced donation decks my queue was empty like i always had like two or three to do in a week and then i would do a couple of my own videos and whatever uh, I had zero. Uh, I recorded five of my own videos the week before the ban list went live. And after the ban list went live, my queue was full for two weeks, booked two weeks out immediately. And uh, they keep trickling in. So uh, I was worried that like the novelty ran off. Like maybe people don't want donation decks from me. Maybe the people who were willing to pay for me have already done it. And now I'm out of gas. But no, it was actually just magic sucked. So uh, that's that's a big sign. People are willing to put money into the formats again. It's worth noting that in the last seven days, I've had five videos pop off or five, seven days that I've released content. Uh, I don't publish on the weekend, but I've had five videos pop off and it usually took me like a couple months to break 2K. I was breaking 2K on videos in two days. So people are definitely consuming more content. Yeah, I have had similar numbers. Where a lot of times after the first 24 hours, I might have a thousand views. And now it's like after the first 24 hours, I have 2000 views. And it's just like, oh, so people are in like people are invested again. And it feels so good. I think of the last maybe five videos I've released, all five have just been like either number one or number two in my most recent metrics when they released. So let's talk a little bit about. Uh, what's actually happening in our experiences with this brand new format. All right, uh, I'll start. A lot of times when a format is brand new, I advocate for just getting people dead as quickly and as linearly as possible. While everyone's farting around trying to tune their control decks and their Delver decks, like play a well-established combo deck that has a stock 75 and just like get people dead. And... 
Go ahead. I You're won the, the Star combo City uh, Open doing that the week after the death rate ban. I chose to run Rite of Flame when people were registering Stoneforge Mystic, and it worked out very well for me. Yeah. In, in terms of results, we don't have much yet. We have like two challenges, but literally half of the top eight finishes this weekend were with combo decks. Um, I believe Sneak and Show in particular had a very good weekend with two decks in the top eight of one of those events. I don't remember which one it was. The Sunday. Uh, it's worth noting that Ad Nauseam Tendrils top aided Saturday and top aided Sunday. I had a few people right after the top eight announcement of Sunday's event message me going like, is Ant back? Is TES dead? And I was like, it's week one of a new format. Uh, people, you know, let's not get too invested into initial results. I mean, props to all you Ant players. Shout out to Daniel D'Amato. He's definitely earned this top eight. Great person. Uh, fantastic member of the Storm community. Nothing but joy and happiness for Dan. But uh, it is very early. And people have not adjusted to this new metagame yet. And proactive things like Phil said are very strong. I am interested to see what the long-term playability of all these decks looks like. But one thing I'm really shocked by is pre-ban, there was a lot of oops. Oops was nowhere this weekend. Are people off this deck? Or is it just they'd rather be playing other things right now? That's another thing that came to my mind. Oh, I, I bet we'll see that deck again. That deck's pretty resilient. I also think another factor with these combo decks doing right well, doing well right now is the fact that people are playing overcosted stuff right now. Like they've kind of forgotten that Legacy is this like very fast format where you're playing the best cards of all time. People are like, what do you think of this four drop? I'm going to run this four drop. I think this five drop i'm gonna gonna try it out this weekend and it's like no no like your your previously tier one or tier two strategies are are like back you can bring those back like don't drag in all of the jank with it like i know i'm playing a ton of jank on the channel i was going to say like what people pay pay me to do but people pay me to play those like if if i was if i was just doing my own thing right now i would not be getting cute I i would find an optimized deck list and like go and play with with some old optimized deck of your updating it and i've i've been seeing a lot of a lot of cutesy things in leagues this transitions into the next bullet but uh a lot of these combo decks i'm a little shocked that they're doing so well because all of the delver of secrets decks that i've seen are running for stifle people feel like the canadian threshold uh style delver decks are back and i am terrified of stifle i am a veil some god it's so good stifle gets through veil and uh, a lot of the combo decks that are winning right now, or at least in week one, uh, don't care as much about Stifle. So maybe that's a long-term uh, issue. I don't know yet. Maybe. But uh, it's just something to keep in you know, your back pocket. I'm in the middle of recording a blue-black Stifle Not Delver League right now. And let me tell you. When you're on the play and you just go like land pass and you stifle your opponent's first fetch land, it's it's cheating. It's so strong right now. I I, I might not agree with you, Phil, because I think if you just rewind to the last few years before like the Elko stuff and before Dreadhorde, like let's say 2015 Legacy. I mean, I mean, it's not fair to say because uh, Death Ray Shaman was still around then, but it wasn't as played. Stifle wasn't that good. And I think we will slowly see the Stifles leave a lot of these Delver decks, if I'm being honest. 
well this is the the dredge best when it's worst thing like that fresh after a ban people are excited to play their new cards they get to do what they want like i think the shields are down just uh emotionally like i i wouldn't play around a turn one stifle probably most of the time and i think it's more that's what's going on than stifle is broken but just stifle is the permanent card where even even during oko and dreadhorde arcanist reign like stifle would sneak into rug decks and then creep back out slowly when it wasn't good anymore but like when when you're not playing around stifle it's the best stifles you're gonna have oh yeah 100 percent agree so there's a lot of different flavors of delver running around right now where where do you all fall like if you had to register delver what would you be doing right now Personally, I think that discard spells are in a good spot. So Grixis has a lot of appeal, but I would probably just play blue-red. If I was going into this blind, unknown, brand new meta, blue-red, it's hard to go wrong. You don't need to predict what answers are going to have to line up. Like You don't have to manage your like fatal push versus lightning bolt versus thought seize count you just play all lightning bolts and then chain lightnings on top of them and you go face like i think that is the cleanest uh, easiest way to start with delver in a new format and once a, a metagame starts to form then grix's delver can figure out what disruption suite it should be playing and then it'll be good again uh but also bug delver good stuff uh leovold is a hell of a magic card uh, so uh, Sylvan Library, did we forget about Dre already? So there's a lot to like about green cards, and it, it's wide open. But to answer your question, I would play blue-red this week and probably Grixis every week it's after that. It's worth noting that Rich Kelly and Jarvis Yu both streamed early with Grixis and then switched to blue-red. Um, I do think blue-red being proactive is definitely better right now for reasons that are very similar to what Brian said. I am going to jump out a little bit ahead here. I think the best Delver deck isn't a Delver deck, but instead it's Ninjas. I think that Ninjas has a pseudo Dreadhorde Arcanist, and if I had to play a Tempo deck, I think Ninjas for is going to see a big uptick. I really do. And I'm not just like saying this to be edgy. I think it is going to be one of the premier Tempo decks in a few months. Like That's going to be a late sleeper when people realize Yuriko is Dreadhorde Arcanist with a little bit more work. Uh, I would agree with that. I have ninjas in the notes to talk about. I 5-0'd with ninjas this week. Uh, it was a phenomenal league, uh, and the, the Dreadhorde Arcanist impression is real with Yuriko, and it, it's the deck is just really good. I was really into it last summer. I played it at Gen Con, or the Gen Con online events, and I also went undefeated with Bug Ninjas at the time. Like, we knew about Oko, we knew about Dreadhorde Arcanist, but they didn't quite have everything optimized and perfected the way that they did in the six months that followed. But uh, Ninjas was pretty good then, and now with those uh, powerful cards out of the way, you're the only one left with a Dreadhorde Arcanist, and you play seven of them. So it's pretty, pretty nice. Uh, I did post a screenshot on Twitter where I had Yuriko, Ingenious Infiltrator, and all four uh changelings in play at the same time and for those of you who struggle with mathematics if you hit with six ninjas you draw six cards 
and then you flip six cards and they take damage equal to the total casting cost of the six that you flip. Oh, PSA, by the way, Yuriko's bugged on Magic Online. If she triggers more than once in the same combat, the top of your deck randomly changes. Like multiple times in the league, I would connect with two ninjas, two Yuriko triggers would go on the stack. I'd brainstorm two Force of Wills to the top of the deck so I could deal 10. But it would flip the first force and then flip a different random card. That happened twice. So, uh, heads up. I also feel like ninjas got better when they quit playing cute cards, like Dead Drop. Like, the first time I got hit by a Dead Drop, I was like, oh, that's cute. It sucks that I'm losing 9 life, but it's cute. And once that deck quit playing all the cute stuff, I think it really improved. Yeah, the tech that sent that deck into the stratosphere is Retrofitter Foundry. Like, whoever figured that out is a genius. Because you have to play these terrible cards like Ornithopter and uh, the Changeling. I'm forgetting its name Changeling right now. Changeling Outcast. But, uh, yeah, Outcast, the 1-1 the one, one black card. You have to play Ornithopter and Changeling Outcast to enable your ninjas. But those cards are bad in Legacy once they stop enabling ninjas. So if you could just turn them into a 4-4 four, for four, one mana. And then the games frequently get grindy enough that you activate your Retrofitter Foundry five or six times and just make a bunch of one ones or work up the chain, get another four, four. I definitely beat goblins in the league I played because I was able to turn ornithopter into a four, four to block the initial attack. And then just made a bunch of one ones while they couldn't get through the wall. So very well built. I think I'm probably going to get death threats from Tom Hepp after this episode goes live. He hates ornithopter and ninjas so much. And I'm not trying to BM Tom here, but Tom is not going to be happy about these suggestions. Hey, can you remind us what color is Ornithopter for Sajiri Step? Colorless. <laughs> it's colorless. Woo, get <laughs> fucked. All right. Um, I'm going to be the dissenting voice here. I think you both are hotter on ninjas than I am. I've played the deck a fair amount, and I feel like the deck has consistency issues. I don't think it executes the same game plan very consistently like a lot of times your ninja hand has a game plan and you you have to play whatever that game plan is and i feel like very frequently when your plan a gets disrupted you often don't have a plan b and you just kind of flounder around and you play a really bad deck all right counterpoint so i've experienced this a lot with combo decks in my life where you have a very small number of people working on a deck. And once that number expands, the deck becomes a lot more optimized because you have more minds working on it. I've seen it happen to Doomsday recently, where Doomsday went from being a fringe and uh, people on Reddit don't like it when I use this term, but meme deck to being extremely, extremely optimized. And I think Jax had a big part of that with uh, Personal Tutor. But that deck is very optimized and scary now. Uh, Thassa's Oracle had a lot to do with it, but it was also the fact that instead of having five minds working on Doomsday, they have hundreds now. Yeah, I think this is very, very important. Um, I don't want to crap on the ninjas community here that this isn't my intention, but I lost so many games playing ninjas to that deck's mana base, especially playing the bug versions, just because I couldn't reliably cast my own spells. And I think that sort of optimization, when you just have more eyes on it and a lot of the the things that are less optimal or too greedy get pushed out, you end up with a much more, a much like 
better well-oiled machine. I'll say this. I got paired against it recently, and I was like, I can't remember if Ninjas plays Days, because for a long time, the bug list didn't. Right now, if you look in Goldfish, some lists, if lists play at all, play two, and then they run two swamps. Like, that's something that can be fine-tuned. Like, your deck should probably have four days, and it should probably have one swamp. But right now, you're seeing two and two with, I don't know, it's just like, there's like little awkward tensions that once more minds start working on it, that will all get cleaned up. All right. Um, throwing my hat into the ring with the Delver question as well. I also believed that Blue-Red Delver was the best way to start off. Um, I, I think the deck had good results this weekend. It's just brutally efficient. It gets people dead. Sprite Dragon is a hell of a drug. Um, and you don't have to change your blue-red Delver list too much from one meta game to another, because oftentimes your main deck flex slots are things like Chain Lightning that just go to the dome. Um, but at, like every flavor of Delver under the sun is currently being tested. So in the top 32 this weekend, we saw Bug Delver, Death Shadow, Rug Delver, Blue Red, and Grixis. Yeah, whatever you're doing with your Delver deck, I think it's a good time to remember Jonathan Sukenik's Delver rules, which is no dead cards in the main deck. Uh, so a card like Fatal Push, if it could be a card like Chain Lightning, is probably a better place to be in an open meta. If you If you can't tune those slots, pick the one that can always go face which lends itself to the the blue red delver in general i i think a lot of the experimentation with delver is going to boil down to what delve threat ends up being the best and that might end up being what the third color of delver is like gurmag angler is big whereas hooting mandrels has trample whereas uh the whale's ethereal forager right correct Yes. Whereas Ethereal Forager is another thing that is a pseudo Dreadhorde Arcanist, but is vulnerable to a lot of removal and, like, quote, costs twice as much because of the second colored mana. Oh, I cringed. I cringed to my soul when you compared that card to Dreadhorde Arcanist. Uh, uh, once it's in play, sure, but it is actually the complete inverse of Dreadhorde Arcanist. Arcanist, you stick that bad boy, and then if you. Then you can cast off the top of your deck the ponder each turn to refire or whatever. Uh, like, But you have to cast those cards first to delve them with the Forager and then slowly get them back. And most of the cards that go to your graveyard early to feed a Forager are fetch lands. And I, I've seen Forager in play a number of times now, and it usually has like maybe one or two cantrips under it. And this thing actually dies to everything and is not a two drop unlike dreadhorde arcanist i saw a lot of people testing this very early and it was quickly cut from every delver list i saw i do know that there's some delver enthusiasts out there that are diehard whale fans but the really good delver players that i know personally not like just random names but people that i know are cutting the card um it dies to everything including pyroblast and lightning bolt and it's just not what you want out of your top end threat I, I I largely agree with that. I saw it in a Stoneblade deck, and it, it fucking ate me alive there. If you still have them, you should sell them. Yeah, I can see it in there. No, I, I, I can see Ethereal Forger being like a pivot threat in something like Stoneblade or coming out of the sideboard of Miracles, like if or out of Grix's control even. Like, imagine eating a Kolagon's command. Oh my god. But like, 
that sort of thing i can see but this is not a delver threat uh, it is not what so, you want uh, last time i checked those things were like seven and a half tickets uh last week i know a few people that bought them at under a ticket each so if you're still sitting on them they're probably still like three or four tickets you should dump them i'm booting up magic online right now to make sure i don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> all right does anyone have anything else they want to say on the the delver end I do think that it's not a traditional Delver deck, but Shadow seems a little interesting to me now. Uh, we saw it in Pro Tour 25. It really came out of the gates. I think it had one copy in Top 8 this weekend. I could be wrong, but uh, yes. Shadow does seem like an interesting Delver choice to me. Scourge of the Skyclaves made that deck a little bit more real because you get some degree of redundancy. And... That deck was occasionally putting up finishes in an Oko-filled world, so, like, maybe it's even more viable now. I don't know. I don't, like, I'm not gonna, like, throw my hat in the ring and say, like, I, I back this one or anything, but I 100% think it deserves testing if you are a Delver player. Yeah, the cool thing about Scourge of the Skyclaves is that it works backwards from Death Shadow. Uh, so it gets minus one, minus one equal to the lowest, the highest life total, not your life total. So like swords to plowshares is always going to be plague wind against any number of death shadows, but it could just end up, end up being like minus three, minus three on a skyclave, uh, scourge of the skyclaves that gets to stick around and play post plow, which, uh, plow at Pro Tour 25, Plow was not a heavily played Magic card, and and that's why Death Shadow got to thrive. So uh, that that's just a cool thing to consider there. So in the next section, we're talking about control decks being really up in the air. I played a control deck last week on 90s MTG. I played 2018 Miracles plus two Teferi. Uh, I guess 2019 Miracles because I had two Narset. My apologies. But I was running four copies of Accumulated Knowledge, not frantic inventory fill ak and the deck was just really sweet um i did see some conversation between control mages on twitter where they were talking about being bant um miracles because then you could still play quaddle and uro in my opinion one of the strongest things about miracles throughout history has been its rock solid mana base it was always a deck that it didn't lose to the delver decks because you had great mana that was not destroyed by wasteland you could even look at the jim davis style miracles list that only ever played one copy of tundra as a non-basic um but miracles rock solid foundation and that's what makes it a great control deck by adding in a green green threat that is difficult to cast is the opposite of what miracles wants to do uh Uro is going to be very difficult on your mana base you're going to lose games to wasteland and ice fang is a terrific magic card but is it worth stretching for if you're going to splash, like, are these cards really better than Red for Pyroblast or From the Ashes? Yeah, plus trying to get all those colors and still have three snow permanents in play without Astrolabe. Uh, you're going to have to be, like, fetching Basic Forest in a deck that contains Uro and Supreme Verdict. And uh, maybe Counterbalance, depending on your build. Like, I, I don't know about it. I don't like it. Um, I know... Anurag has always been more comfortable leaning into like five dual lands, six dual lands in his Miracles deck. And I'm usually trying to cut them. I, I experimented 
After Prismatic Vista was printed in Modern Horizons, I experimented with Zero Dual Lands Miracles for a while, and I, I think the One Tundra is correct, at minimum, but uh, it'll be interesting to see who leans into the you're never going to wasteland me main deck back to basics kind of deck versus the overload the wasteland Uro will pull me ahead of your wasteland let's just do this kind of deck so it will be interesting to see where that goes i think ice fang coaddle in particular got way worse um like with astrolabe gone it's not active with death touch as early and because astrolabe is a snow permanent and with Astrolabe gone, your mana isn't as good. So that also means you're fetching dual lands more frequently, which means the Death Touch isn't on as well. Um, my Delver today got blocked by an Ice Fang Coatl on turn four, and it took me longer than I care to admit to realize that that creature did not have Death Touch. Like, it was turn four, I just assumed it was on. No, that's that's not the way these mana bases are working out right now, at least in the period before everything is optimized. I did release a video uh, saying that Hopagiripur is back, saying, like, hey, Ice Fang is going to go down. Its numbers are going to lower, and I expect that to be a continuing trend. If I owned Ice Fangs, I would sell them. Uh, I, I just want to remind you that Ice Fang Quaddle still blocks and kills Hopagiripur. Wow. Fuck you, Brian. Don't edit that out, though. <laughs> fuck you, Brian. <laughs> Uh, All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I actually cut Hope of Gearper from the only deck I ever played it in, which was uh, the Nick Fit to Fairy Vacation. I just replaced it with Grand Abolisher, which is just a better Magic right. card. We are taking applications for a. Third you should consider that for the Epic Storm. Uh, if you are interested in joining the Eternal Glory podcast, please message Phil. Uh, Phil will be uh, accepting those applications. Extra points if you're a brainless yes man from the Storm Discord. <laughs> All right, so the next bullet point says the return of Colligan's command, base Grixis. I don't know who wrote that, but uh, dust off your veil of summers is not true. I played in one challenge this weekend, and uh, my game started off with turn one discard spell, turn two him you back by force, turn three or four I would go for it, and they would have another force. It felt miserable. Um, veil of summer didn't kill discard. I think all the amazing top decks did. Well, you're coming from the perspective of a deck that thought sees into him and double force is probably GG, no matter what. So, like, uh, my perspective when I wrote the Dust Off Your Veil of Summers is, like, in your mid-range decks, in your, your Bug Leovold, in your Bant Hullbreacher decks, like, uh, considering Veil of Summer as, like, a Pyroblast variant is is pretty good. Because, uh, like we've talked about on the cast before, discard... Regardless of Veil of Summer's presence in the format, discard was bad because Oko could just kill you on the top, off the top at any point. And with Oko gone, with Dreadhorde gone, like we can, we can count on discard to actually buy the space that it did in 2018. Uh, and uh, I, I think that Veil of Summer is just gonna come in as like a red blast sideboard option in those mid range wars. I played against. Uh, Callum's Esper Him to Tarak mentor deck when I was on Blue White Monshark uh, this week, and it felt like 2018. I actually kind of loved it. Like I hated it because I was dying to Him to Tarak, but at the same time I got to flex those old rusty muscles. I got to pull in like, oh, I get to board in Flusterstorm again. That card was unplayable in Fair Mirrors because Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko and Astrolabe are not spells. They're not instants and sorceries. So. 
it, it was uh, pretty exciting to like I, I was losing, but the implications of like, oh, this is how I have to build a sideboard again. I I remember this. This is good magic. Like I, I don't I think like I've that. ever met anyone that went like, oh, it was a great round. I got him to Torok. Like that was so much fun. Uh, I am not like looking forward to him to Torok being playable again. Uh, well, good thing you play four veils. Not enough. Today I got a bunch of comments on my like dead guy ale video from two months ago is like so how does one update this in the post ban world people are ready it's been too long oh, dead guy uh, that's a good one if i ever get a a day to myself without a donation league i'll probably record that at some point i miss stoneforge mystic dearly all right let's talk stoneforge i don't know how stoneforge is going to be positioned in this upcoming meta game and really, it's going to be dependent on maybe how many main deck answers there are to equipment. I played uh, when I was on, I think it was the Legacy Pit. I, I played Death and Taxes versus Grixis Control. And let me tell you, when you're playing against a pile of Culligan's Command and Snapcaster Mages, your equipment is borderline useless. And unless your opponent misplays and, say, lets you return your batter skull into hand instead of destroying it with Culligan's command, uh, you're not going to go and get a lot of value out of your equipment. But if the control colors aren't in Grixis, Stoneforge Mystic might be pretty viable and good. It's still going to be very strong versus the various Delver flavors. I am very unsure how I feel about that card. Because in a lot of the previous metagame, I felt like Stoneforge was like a B-minus card, and I tried even cutting it from my death and taxes lists at some points. Yeah, I think it's going to feel like 2018. Like, those of us who have been playing for two and a half years and longer are going to remember a time where, like, Grixis Control existed in its full glory at GP Niagara. And that tournament was won by Stoneforge Mystic. And it's just going to be like that meta rotation again of like Colagon's Command Snapcaster decks are out there, but so are, you know, like Moon Stompy. And uh, we have a metagame again, folks. It's not just like Oko or Bust. Like You're going to have to make decisions about what decks you want to beat and what you're okay losing to. And I like that. Uh, it, as far as Stoneforge Mystic... I hope it's good, <laughs> or at least I hope it's a little bit playable. Like I, I think Stoneforge Mystic is a good benchmark of if Stoneforge Mystic is good, Legacy is probably healthy because that is like a super pushed, too good for standard, but like definitely appropriate for Legacy power level card. Uh, but it is ultimately a creature. It's not even so, that good in modern anymore, and, though. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, it was banned in modern for a long time, like off. When modern from modern's inception, like Stoneforge was never legal in modern at the start. It was unbanned a couple of years ago, alongside Jace the Mind Sculptor when they started to loosen the reins a little. And yeah, Stoneforge is not great in modern, though that might change now. Modern just got a big slew of bands as well. So I'd like to remind people that we will be having a rotating metagame, like Brian said. Don't go to Reddit complaining that things are moving too fast. Like, that's what should be happening. Like, if a deck wins last week and it's now bad this week, that is good. That's what you want. Yep. All right, so I'm going to uh, lead into our next bullet 
point a little bit here. There are some people on the internet saying that now's the time to get rid of the other fire cards. And they called out one card in particular, Plague Engineer, saying that's the next card to keep your eyes on. That is a bad mentality to have. Don't look at the next thing that you should be banned or should be banned. Enjoy where you're at now. A lot of people refer to 2012 Legacy as the Golden Age. And then you could look at it in comic book terms from 2018 being the Silver Age. I think we're about to be in the Bronze Age. I really do. I think we're about to be in this golden, heavenly period of Legacy where things are great. Don't look at it from this negative perspective out of the gate that something else needs to be banned. Enjoy this great metagame that we're about to have and just like flourish. Like a lot of decks are going to be somewhat viable. Nick Fit? Probably not. Sorry, Phil. But there's going to be a lot of competitive decks people can play. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, this is not your point. But when I've played Nick Fit recently, I've been pretty impressed with what it can do. Uh, I've been playing it in the Teferi Vacation Shell, which is a complete meme joke. And I still win a lot more than I lose with it. And so if you actually focus your Nick Fit deck, you're probably doing fine. But that aside, yeah, if you're, I, I don't know what sort of uh, unfortunately, unfortunate mentality you'd, mentality you'd have to be in to be like, yeah, Plague Engineers gotta go. Like, is that just the Elves players? <laughs> is that coming directly from the Elves Discord? Because you all got Allosaurus Shepherd. I don't want to hear it about Plague Engineer. Chill out. But like, I, I I think Plague Engineer is powerful. It's pushed. I wish it was symmetrical. I think it's silly that it's not. But I think that card is just a cool tool that black decks can have. And it will be good sometimes. And like, I, I think it will probably be among the most played creatures in Legacy. As long as it's legal. Like probably top 10. But I don't think it's Busto. I mean, this is a format with Grizzlebrand in it. Just chill out on Plague Engineer. <laughs> I don't think I'm exaggerating here when I say that a lot of the threats in the format will likely be defined by how good they are against Plague Engineer. Like, if if you have flex slots that can be crushed by Plague Engineer and you have some other option that isn't, going that direction that allows you to play around Plague Engineer naturally is probably going to get you a decent number of of wins uh true name nemesis is a card that a lot of people were quoting as like something that should be coming back and my first thought was like god no that just dies to a plague engineer and i expect that to be like a three of in every deck that can be playing it what i love about uh reading the internet is for years true name should be banned that card's an abomination it shouldn't even exist pro everything I feel like those are the same people that are like, Isha has the right to deserve now. This Playground Junior card is garbage. It's just like four years happen and all their opinions changed. I think we did get a lot more playable answers to True Name Nemesis, though, to be fair. Like Council's Judgment, Toxic Deluge, a number of other negative one, negative one effects that are actually playable by legacy standards. Uh, the card's a lot less stickier than it used to be. Remember when Zealous Persecution was a legacy playable card? I still have foils. That in the S, the Esper Lingering Souls deck. Wow, that deck was good. Tom Martell won a GP. I I lost to a Zealous, Zealous Persecution, Persecution earlier this week. I was not expecting it. That was again out of that Stoneforge or Stoneblade deck, and like God, instant speed, Zealous Persecution, just 
Ugh. I've certainly lost to it. The Bronze Age of Legacy. Yep. I honestly, I I am not going to be upset about a format where somebody gets blown out by Zealous Persecution. Like if that's what Legacy's doing. Let's yeah, go. I'm so much happier getting Zealous Persecution than Plague Engineered. Honestly. So in that Silver Age yep. of Legacy, 2018-ish, it was an instant, which was really tough on Cabal Therapy U, empty Cabal Therapy U, because you can't do that. You would just lose your horde of goblins in between. That's true. Instants are powerful magic cards. Did you know? Yeah. Um. I. There are some sticky threats that only kind of play around Plague Engineer. Um, Hex Drinker is a great example of one. I really like that as a green sun target right now, because once that sucker gets leveled up once, it it is a real pain to deal with for most decks. I I flopped around and died to one of those in a couple of different leagues this week. I had an opponent send their a hex drinker into progenitus mode, but it could never deal damage to me because I was on a vacation. That was it's nice. interesting if you think about it. So the Modern Horizons era legacy. Rug Delver back during Ren and Six played Snakes. It played, you know, a Hex Drinker. And then the bans happened, and everyone decided that Hex Trigger was no longer playable because Ren and Six was gone. Like, I think around the same time, people realized how broken Dread Horde was. And then, like, people just never looked back at Hex Drinker. I think it could go back to being, like, a temple based threat. Like, we could see more and more Hex Drinkers come back. Now that some of these temple slots have opened up. All I'm saying yeah. is carpet of flowers. Think about it. <laughs> that makes a big hex drinker. There's a lot of hexes to drink. Uh, yeah, Jarvis Circa GP Atlanta. He top aided that event with Rug Delver. And at the time, I know he was really big on uh, just the games where you present a threat on turn one versus ponder on turn one. The just like the percentages swing wildly and i know i've said it a million times in my content and on this podcast like every time my delver opponent ponders or preordains on turn one instead of casting delver it's just a huge sigh of relief and hex drinker lined up poorly against dread horde arcanist like the dread horde was just bigger than it in combat and also gave a ton of fuel to answer the thing uh, like you had a lot of looks at your lightning bolt before it was a four four and who can who can afford to spend three mana that may get blown out by lightning bolt in the rug delver mirror? So that was just a bad time. Uh, Oko is not an instant, so uh, the hex drinker would have to hit level eight before it was free from Oko. Like it was a really bad time to be playing hex drinker, but that card could totally come back uh, if we settle into like the the stifle days sort of small ball delver decks that aren't just fully functioning mid range decks anymore. Uh, delver. Uh, Hex Drinker definitely so, fits. Phil mentioned Carpet of Flowers. I've had a few heated discussions this, and I mean truly heated discussions this week about Carpet of Flowers. So, at least from the Storm perspective, Carpet of Flowers was terrific against these mid-rangey Delver decks because you got multiple uses out of them. You would play a Carpet, and over the course of the game, you could expect it to make somewhere between six and twelve mana, like that. Like that's what you would expect out of that slot. I don't think that's the case anymore. If Blue Red Delver ends up being the default Delver deck, Grixis is admittedly a, a hair slower, but if Blue Red becomes the Delver deck, they run four Wastelands and a Mountain. 
if you look at their mana base, they actually only run four to five islands total. Um, so, and they kill you very quickly. Like Brian said, they're running chain lightnings on top of lightning bolt. They're killing you fast. So that means if you're playing a carpet, you're probably getting like four mana out of it over multiple turns. And if you're boarding out right of flames or other acceleration pieces for these carpets, they're pretty risky, especially if your opponent's really aggressive with their dazes. So I think from a combo combo perspective, carpet's getting a lot worse. And uh, I could see it like I've already trimmed down to two, but over the next few months, depending on how the meta shakes up, if Grixis becomes the best one, I could see myself going up. But if Delver, uh, if Blue Red Delver ends up being the better one, I could see myself actually going down to zero. I think it, uh, I, I agree with you on the combo front. I think on the control front, Carpet of Flowers is even better because now your Uros are harder to cast than they were before. Like you're missing out on Astrolabe and Carpet of Flowers is often going to be the push to allow you to actually cast your spells. It's worth noting, uh, from the combo perspective one more time, I'm sorry, uh, Carpet is better against control decks now. Without Arkham's Astrolabe, the control decks are forced to play out their islands, so it did get better there. But it's not like you're not really playing Carpet for the control decks, you're playing it for the Delver decks. So how do we feel about Dreadship Reef <laughs> against <laughs> Delver decks? So uh, th- this is kind of an inside joke with just myself and harlan fear uh harlan was playing for top eight of the scg con legacy duel for duels and he was on blue red dreadhorde arcanist delver he was one of the first to just build a deck around that card uh he beat me in the top four of the team event the next day but uh he was cruising he was the only one playing the card and he got paired against ad nauseum tendrils in his winning in for top eight and after some early exchanges, his opponent played Dreadship Reef that had brought in from the sideboard, charged three or four counters onto it against Harlan's Wasteland deck, and then just won because he had this Dreadship Reef with four counters on it. He had to land the tap for four to get above all the soft permission. And uh, I I, th- I don't know that if Harlan boarded out all his Wastelands or just some of them or if he just got unlucky, but it was definitely... Kind of hilarious to watch the Wasteland deck just fucking die to this slow, shitty, non-basic land. That's, this is actually a really good transition point to one of the last things that I wanted to say. While Legacy is really wide open right now, and there's like a lot of cool things that you can be doing, make sure you're still doing something that's good. There's a difference between testing something you might be good and trying to shove that really questionable card into your deck. Like, maybe your dreadship reefs aren't the sort of things that you should be experimenting with right now. I recently played a Red Prison League where all of the threats were giants. And the threats cost four and five mana. Guess what I didn't do? Resolve that. Cast my creatures. Yeah. Like, I, I floundered around that league and I was just... I was literally saying, I'm beating the dead horse here, but every round I was just talking about my mana and how I couldn't cast my spells consistently and how they cost too much mana. So speaking of Red Prison, uh, the Epic Storm has a 15th uh, flex spot in the sideboard right now. Like, no card that we put there actually seems good. One of the cards you can put there is Crash. We've talked about putting Crash there since all the Moon Prison is back. That said, we're still beating Moon Prison due to Pulverize. Like, 
I don't I don't know. This isn't really that related, I guess, but like I think Red Prison still has a lot of flaws at the moment. Maybe those will get hammered out. But I'm not playing Crash right now because that I mean I'm still comfortable against Red Prison. I think there are a lot of players playing weird builds right now to try new things. Um I I think I think it's Basuda is the name of the Red Prison player who keeps like very consistently doing results. And that's because their deck just kills people. It is just lock pieces and it is very, very, very aggressive threats. And, and that's it. There, there's no monkeying around with it. But in ch- and I think that's successful. Rip. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do conceptually like trying Crystalline Giant in an aggressive list like that. That card is very interesting. It's kind of a high variance card. Well, not kind of. It is like the highest variance card I think I've ever played. It is in, extremely in high. Legacy. Yeah, like. Like, when you cast it, you're like, please haste or hexproof, please haste or hexproof, and any other thing is just like, oh shit, fine. So if you look at the history of prison decks in Legacy, for a very long time, they lived in the shell, or the category that, I say this a lot, but meme decks, like, they were a deck you could technically register, but you were not very likely to ever do well. And it wasn't until Moonstompy really came around that they had a framework for for success, where fast efficient threats backed by chalice and trinister would get them victories and then eldrazi exploited that and since then i feel like a lot of the prison decks have followed that rule up until urza echo which kind of broke the rules and did its own thing but there's a long history of success doing the aggressive thing backed by chalice trinisphere that was eventually found and i think this like giant version is going back to the list pre formula and that's probably why they're not doing well um it's just like there's also people that run all chandras right it, but like those aren't fast and efficient which is why those lists never end up doing well because like eventually i think brian used this terminology in one of the more recent episodes but the dam breaks and that's when everything floods you need to make sure that they're dead before the dam breaks i loved six mana chandra chandra awakened inferno for a long time in legacy because if you plus that thing a couple of times, your control opponent died. Like, that was just it. They couldn't close the game fast enough. Now, like, Oko's gone, but Uro's still there. And that life gain is very relevant. And if that 6-6 six, six comes back, that can race your 6-mana uncounterable Planeswalker. Um, I don't know how safe it is to be relying on that as an alternate win condition anymore. I mean, the good news is that Blood Moon's probably great against an Uro deck. You would think. Oh, yeah. Like, nobody's going to have two basic forests. Prophetic Prism. Unless they're straight Simic. Yeah, Prophetic Prism is is live, I guess. Don't play Abundant Growth. If you have to do this, play Prophetic Prism. But I also recommend just not Miracle doing baby. this at all. I'm a Miracles fanboy now, Brian. Come on. Well, that's not how Miracles works. That's not even the deck. Four color and five color Snowco is I, just not I a know, Miracles deck. I'm saying deck. to play not Miracles. It's better. Oh. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. All right. So uh, final thought for you, gentlemen. Let's say there is a magic fest tomorrow. What would you play? Uh, am I in the command zone or uh, am I in the Grand Prix main event? You're actually just stuck running Nick Fett to Fairy's vacation in the main <laughs> event. Uh, 
I would like to play that in the command zone, but I would prefer not to play it in the Grand Prix. But so GP tomorrow, Legacy GP, uh, I am probably going to register a Bant Hall Breacher deck, something with Noble Hierarch that can cheese Hall Breacher. I'll probably have two or three days undoing in the 75. I'd have to tune it out. Like, I, I this isn't a fully fleshed out idea, but I do think Hall Breacher days undoing is powerful enough and sleek enough to be a, a viable archetype on its own. But I think you need the acceleration of something like Noble Hierarch backed by days to pop it off. Like, I, I would want a tempo shell with that in it. That's probably where I'm starting. If I can't make it work, I'm playing ninjas. So that sounds very similar to uh, the Reduke 2016, I believe. GP Louisville. Louisville. How about you, Philium? I also... I want to be on a deck with mana acceleration right now. Um, I think getting ahead and doing something faster than your opponent is relatively important before a metagame is solidified. Like in in my skill set, I might register register something like a Maverick deck right now. Um, if I had a wider range and more experience playing other blue decks, I I might go for a Noble Hierarch mid range blue deck. Did you guys see the screenshot that was circling around Legacy Twitter today? Uh, somebody ate a turn one brainstorm with a Hall Breacher. Off of Savannah Caracas Noble Hierarch. Just the full secret Hall Breacher mana. That was hot. I did not see that, but I did face a deck that could do that uh, this weekend. It was just Maverick splashing Hall Breacher. Yeah, that's probably exactly what this screenshot was from. That's what it looked like. Yeah, that, that, that sounds hot. I like that. Hypothetically, let's say I'm not playing the Epic Storm. But is that confirmed you would play that if it was real like that uh, like obviously with your uh experience and everything you have significant value to playing that deck but you, you do think it is a good choice for those with the reps for a gp yes definitely okay um, so second choice so my second choice is i i've already stand for this deck but i really love miracles in this metagame i think a lot of people are trying to cast blood moon like you said and people are excited to be casting chalice and trinosphere blue red delver is really big I am in love with Celestial Purge. I have been for a long time. I think that card is fantastic right now. If people are out there running Blue Red Delver and Blood Noons and Chandras, you get Splash Hate against some of these like Grixis decks too. And then if people are still running Depths, it happens to be good there. Like I think there's just a lot of areas where Celestial Purge is good right now. Yep, I uh, put up a lot of top eights and wins with Celestial Purge in my Blue White Miracles decks before the current era before War of the Spark. So yes, I do like that card in blue-white sideboards. So big fan of that. I'm still a big fan of Supreme Verdict as well. Like A lot of control decks I see play like one main and maybe one on the sideboard, but I'm a three in the main kind of boy. So uh, I love Supreme Verdict, especially when people are farting around in a new format. I think we're also, I guess this is a ending note, but Mystic Sanctuary is going to come back. Like, if control decks are returning to real mana bases, there's plenty of islands. Play around Mystic Sanctuary, people. Don't just get blown out by it because you haven't seen it in a year. I think that card is going to be very strong in this new metagame. 
I've seen that in some of the combo decks as well. I played against uh, Show and Tell either today or yesterday, where I just wasn't expecting that out of them, and boy, it was good. Yep, too good for modern. It's going to land in Legacy. Why did it have to be fetchable? Jeez. Yeah, uh, and I, I tweeted this too when the ban list went live. With Mystic Sanctuary's addition to the ban list, they've now banned four cards out of the deck I won GP Columbus with in modern. Strong. <laughs> <laughs> that deck was so busted, and I love it. All right, do we have any other thoughts, or is this episode donezo? I think it's cooked. Hey, you don't get a catchphrase right at the end. It's Kobold. <laughs> and also Gallagher. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, I, I, I went to go do it, and I just can't do it. I like the, the sound of poop hitting the water with your mouth. Like <laughs> It's colorless. Woo! Get fucked.